Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. The world needs to hear your message and your story, so don't deny the world of that gift within you that the universe has given you. Someone out there needs to hear your story because it will support them in feeling hope, inspired, and even transformed. Do you want to discover how I help get my clients out of their own way, show up, and confidently share their message? I would love to extend an invitation to you to join me in my free masterclass, Start Your Own Podcast from Idea to Implementation, on Wednesday, April 5th at 1 p.m. Eastern. You can find the registry link in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography Podcast. Today, my guest is Dr. Susan Lavelle. She is the founder and owner of Premier Wellness, a lifestyle medicine doctor, the Thrive Architect, and an author. Susan, it is such a pleasure and an honor to have you here. How are you doing today? I am marvelous. Thank you so much, Brad. Thank you very much for taking and making the time to be here with me today. I am so excited to jump in and share all the beautiful light you shine out into the world through the work you're doing. So with that being said, let's get started. First off, I would love to know how long ago did you start or found Premier Wellness? So I I started having the inklings around 2016, and we'll get it a little bit later as to what was happening around then. But at that point, I was still in plastic surgery. So all I could do was put information out there because I wanted people to start knowing what lifestyle health, holistic health was all about. And over the years, I found out that information is not enough. We all have more than enough information, but that's how I actually got started. And so what I'd like to know what the inspiration was for you even pursuing a career in the medical field and in particular, a plastic surgeon. Plastic surgery. Yes, yes, I love that. So this has got to go way, way back. And it, <laughs> You're taking us way back. Right, way back. Not to the time of the troglodytes, but almost. <laughs> All right, let's go. I'm yes. ready. I was six years old. And at that time, I tended to have a lot of sore throats. So when I realized it, whenever I went to the doctor, he would look at my throat. It was always red. And then I got to stay home from school. So I would get to the point where I would say, oh, my throat hurts. Even when it didn't go to the doctor, it was always red. And But what ended up happening was that I fell in love with my pediatrician. And I thought he was the coolest person ever. <laughs> and I, he really was. And I told him at that point that when I grew up, I was going to be a doctor. And he said, when you're ready, you come to me and I will write you a letter and help you get in. And do you know, 20 plus years later, I went back. He was still in practice, which was amazing anyway. He wrote me that letter and I am convinced it has so much to do with me actually getting into medical school. Seriously, he, you actually went back he, to him and he wrote the letter. And he wrote like he, remember, he remembered saying that to you well, when you were a kid. Well, the little girl who was coming in with sore throats like <laughs> every couple of months. Yeah, exactly. Wow. There's something that would just stick with you. But mm-hmm. yeah, he remembered and remembered that I was at that age and said I wanted to be a doctor. So that was how I got in there and how plastic surgery. Now, this has a lot to do with now with lifestyle medicine as well. When you go through medical school, what you do is 
is you rotate through each of the specialties. So internal okay. medicine, surgery, everything, dermatology, you do all of them. And the thing that frustrated me the most was that with the internal medicine, the family practice, you saw the same people over and over again. They would come in, they would say they were diabetic. They would come in, they would get their medication for the month. Nothing had changed. They would go back out and then it would come back the same way every month. And I said, I can't do that for the rest of my life. That was not what I was all about. I wanted to help people to transform. And then I did the plastic surgery rotation, which as you probably can guess, is all about people come in one way, you do something and they go out a completely different way. And I said, that is what I want to do. And that's how I got into plastics. Incredible. So you, you had quite a successful career as an award-winning plastic surgeon. How long did you work as a plastic surgeon? 22 years altogether. Wow. 22 years. And, and that was after dancing. So we don't add those numbers up or anything. <laughs> There's no need. That's okay. We're not going to add them. What was your favorite part of your career as a plastic surgeon? Like, What brought you the most joy in your career? Oh, hands down the surgery. If I could still do surgery without all the other stuff and all the paperwork and everything, <laughs> I'd be still doing it. But Which, you can't. The good comes with the bad. Yeah, I of course. love, I loved, would probably still love being in the operating room. Really? Yeah. Now, Making that transformation. Yeah, being part of that or even just witnessing transformation. I mean, you were right in there creating the transformation, but even just witnessing transformation is incredibly powerful and beautiful in itself. Absolutely. So much of what I do now. So, yeah. Exactly. There you go. Yeah, yeah. So you just moved in into another area. That's A all. different field. So <laughs> yes. instead of the outside in, now I work from the inside out. There you go. Still making that transformation, though. <clears throat> now, we're hearing about a lot of women who work in the field of medicine, in particular as nurses, doctors. I don't know if you are, but I know I have through conversations and they're experiencing an incredibly high rate of burnout due to the demands of the job. And it's, I don't think it's just the medical field, it's corporate, it's all of these things. But since you were part of the medical field, we'll refer to medicine in particular. What was the catalyst for you leaving the field of traditional Western medicine? Was that due to burnout for you as well? And can you speak a little bit about your experience and about burnout in the medical field, particularly as it relates to women? <laughs> what a great question. So the, the whole thing is, we'll take it in two parts. One sure. of them is looking at women per se. Mm -hmm. And I think in general, and I'm not being sexist or anything, but I think no. in general, women tend to have it a little harder because we have our jobs, usually full-time jobs where we're expected to be at the top of our game. And many, many of us also have that full-time job at home where we're the wife or the spouse or the mother. And so we've got these two things where we're juggling these things all the time and we don't want to let either one of them fall ever. Right. So we've got that thing going on. But then you get into medicine. And of course, especially after the last couple of years with, yeah. with everything that's been on, it's been heightened. But it didn't just start two years ago. No. This really has been going on for years and years where there's more and more pressure to see more people in shorter periods of time get fast results and not really put anything into the solving of care. So in other words, it's no longer healthcare. We yeah. call it healthcare. It's no longer healthcare. Now it is sick care. All, right. Right. All we're doing is we're waiting until someone gets ill. And then we give them a treatment, a pill or a treatment to help them get better, as opposed to being proactive and getting there before anything develops. Reactive versus proactive. Exactly. And I think that's frustrating. That hamster wheel that you're yeah. on where you're not doing anything. 
you're working as hard as you possibly can and you're not making a dent in anything. That's what's so frustrating. That's where the burnout comes from. And so was that the catalyst or part of the catalyst for you leaving the medical field too, is burnout and just not being able to accomplish what you really wanted to get done? By the time I actually left in 2019, because for a while I was trying to do both plastic surgery and lifestyle medicine at the same time. And the demographics are different. Someone who's coming to you for plastic surgery doesn't want to hear about how you should do X, Y, or Z to be healthier. And I just realized more and more as I was going along that this is the way I wanted to go. The hospital I was working in at the time wasn't really that interested in the lifestyle health aspect. And I just knew at that point it was time to say goodbye to plastics and move into lifestyle health. Prior to that, though, and we can get into how I switched from plastics to lifestyle health in the first place. Yeah. We can get into that a little bit later, but that was a different decision. So that had a little bit more to do with real burnout and pushing myself beyond what I could do. Now, I know through previous conversation that you and I have had, and I'm pretty sure we're both of the same mindset when it comes to the healthcare <laughs> medical systems. You're in the US, I'm up here in Canada, but I think we can both agree that both systems are severely broken in both countries. Now, I'm also going to say that these failed or broken systems are in part what are leading to some of the burnout because there's not enough coverage for the nurses and the doctors and all of that. So I'm going to assume you agree with that. But oh, yeah. in your opinion, I'd love to hear First of all, why do you think the healthcare system is so broken? Like, where did this start? Again, I think it's got two points to it. One of them is that the wheels of change in medicine are really slow. I mean, really slow. So if you think about it, I kind of put the Model T forward way, way back. And at its time, it was wonderful. It was like a, what do they call them? Horseless carriages or something like that. (laughs) Great thing, right? But would you drive one today? No. They're slow. They were hot. They got no power. I mean, just crazy. But cars have evolved and gotten better and better. Medicine, on the other hand, yes, we have made some amazing advancements in there. Mm -hmm. But we still have that, like I was saying before, that disease care approach as opposed to healthcare. We still are fixing what's wrong. We wait until something obviously goes wrong versus being proactive. So like with diabetes, it drives me crazy when someone comes in to see me and we look at their labs over, say, the last couple of years and we see that their blood sugar has consistently been creeping up every single year incrementally. Nothing's done because it hasn't hit that threshold of diabetes yet. But if you went back three years and started changing things, they would never hit that. That's one of the biggest things that drives me crazy. It's funny that you bring up diabetes. Brings up a thing with my wife where she went in for blood work probably about two and a half months ago now (laughs) to her GP. And it was just routine blood work. She had been dealing with some other things, other health things that weren't related, but they wanted to take blood. They took blood and never heard anything. She had to go back to the doctor probably about a month and a half later and for something else. Mm-hmm. And she was in the doctor's office. She said, oh, by the way, what's the deal with my blood test results? She's like, I can't remember everything. I can't remember to do everything. And I thought, how are you a possibly a doc? Like, that's your Whoa. job. Am I- <laughs> um, because you're the doctor and you have the records in your computer. I can't remember to deal with everything. What the hell kind of a response is that? And she is diabetic. See, now that is a horror story. 
That is. That's okay. horrible. That's a horror story. Yeah. I mean, if she didn't go back in, she would not have got those results. And who knows what could have happened? Anything. I mean, she could have gone into diabetic shock unknowingly. She wouldn't have known she was diabetic. And this woman is moving to the U.S. to become a doctor. <laughs> to Sorry. To, to She's moving her, not to become a doctor. She's moving her practice to the U.S. Ooh, so, okay. So how about we just... <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Let me not be. Let me not be. Oh, my gosh. I mean, that's the real horror story. Because most doctors, at least, most I hope, yes, we're overwhelmed. Yes, those things are there. But at least we should care enough to make sure that people are getting their results back. Right? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. My mind was blown. I I couldn't believe it. Anyway, I digress. (laughs) (laughs) That was worth a digression. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yeah. So with the state of the healthcare system, how do we find a way forward and out of this severely damaged and broken system and begin to find solutions for people? I mean, I really think the system right now, it seems like it's irreparable. Yeah. What are the answers here? How do we progress? We go on that. Well, I mean, it can't continue this way for many reasons. And one of the things that I'm aware of and that is starting to come out is that This generation now is expected to be the first generation ever not to live longer than their parents. And that has, I mean, that has never been the case. We consistently live longer and longer. This is the first one that's expected to be less. So we've got to change something. Obviously, what we're doing is not working. And the way we're going to do it, because as I said, the healthcare system itself is like this big boat. It takes forever to turn it around. So it's got to change from within, the physicians and things from within, but also from the patients. We need to let them know that they have the ultimate power over their own health and that they can change things by that, as we were talking about being proactive and letting them know that it's not normal to be sick or to be tired or to be overweight or to have these chronic conditions. It doesn't have to be that way. And when people realize that, that they can make changes in their lifestyle, which is Yes and no, it's easy. It's simple, yeah. but not necessarily easy, but things that they can do themselves to make themselves so much easier and so much healthier. And that's what we're going to have to do to start making this big boat make that turn because otherwise we are headed for an iceberg. Yeah, for sure. I mean, mm-hmm. I've spoken with a couple of other lifestyle medicine doctors and it would seem that this is the route that physicians and the likes are taking, much like yourself. You're taking this because of the way the system is working, in part anyways, or not working, as we can clearly see. I interviewed another lifestyle medicine doctor who's over in the UK, and she left her GP practice, and she refers to the modern day model of medicine as the McDonald's or the drive through (laughs) of medicine, because she was saying that she's given 10 or 15 minutes with a patient and that's it. As she said, you can't properly diagnose or help someone in that short amount of time. So basically you're there talking to them, write a script, here you go. And then they're coming back again because they need that script filled again. Right. So what are your thoughts on that, on how it's operating? Yeah. I mean, that's exactly why I didn't go into internal medicine in the first place. Because that's what I thought. It, I just thought it was going to be this revolving door where people were in and out. I like that, the McDonald's. Yeah. <laughs> that's, have it right? your way immediately. <laughs> or was that Burger King? Anyway. anyway. Um, yeah. And it is and it isn't their fault. We're not talking about the docs who are like like your wives because that's yeah. 
for thank that's goodness, a whole other class. That's a whole other thing. But for most of them, number one, the problem is that this is how we're taught. Right. You're taught disease. You're taught what all of the diseases are. I mean, you go to medical school to learn disease. You learn mm. the disease. You learn the treatment. You do not learn prevention. You have two weeks of nutrition out of four years of medical school. Two weeks, four years. That's okay? it? That's it. Okay. So automatically, you don't have the information. You don't have the knowledge to do what you need to do. So that's number one. And then, like you said, they don't have the time. Seven to 15 minutes is the average. So you get one problem. We're also taught that. They get one problem. That's it. You can't come in and say, you came in for your knee and then, oh, by the way, my shoulder. Oh, by my way. You can't do that. You don't have time. And you put those two things together and it's a disaster. Instead of having... Fewer people, and this is gonna this is gonna also gonna be somewhat of an issue because it does take longer. Right. It, you know, it absolutely takes longer. So you're not gonna be able to see as many people, mm-hmm. which means there may be some kind of kind of backup in the beginning until right. people start getting healthier and then they don't need as many right. visits and then right. the, the time will come. So the addition of maybe health coaches, which a lot of people in lifestyle medicine are seeing, the adding the health coaches in addition to the provider, that combination is an awesome thing together. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. So for those out there who might not know exactly what is a lifestyle medicine doctor? Yeah. So (laughs) when I first came out, the way I went about it, and there is different ways you can go. There's functional medicine, there's lifestyle medicine, integrative medicine, alternative. There are lots of different names and different ways you can go. I started with functional medicine with that route. And what that is, is looking for the root cause of what's going on, as opposed to what is the symptoms. Matter of fact, they don't really even care what the diagnosis is. Let's see what's going on with them and then see why. And then with each one of them, what you're doing is finding out what the cause is and then giving lifestyle changes that will support them. So I liken it to like the symptoms say, well, the diagnosis, diabetes or high blood pressure or cancer or whatever it might be, fatigue, those are the leaves on a tree. And what traditional medicine has done, when those leaves start turning brown, we just take a bucket of paint and paint all the leaves green. Now the tree looks gorgeous, (laughs) right? Tree looks gorgeous, but it's still an unhealthy tree. Instead of going down to the roots and the roots are like things like what, like stress and poor nutrition. We call it the sad diet, the standard American diet, poor sleep, hormones being out of whack, even relationships, things like that. These are things that are in the roots and that are causing those brown leaves that we see on top. So when we fix the roots, then the tree gets healthier. I love that analogy. Painting over the brown leaves. <laughs> Band-aids over bullet holes. Right, right. Painting over rust. Exactly, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) How do you work then with other healthcare professionals to adopt a lifestyle medicine approach? And how do you see collaboration between practitioners contributing to the future of healthcare? It's critical. We have got to be able to start working together. And my husband's also a physician. And sometimes we talk about as a group, Physicians are some of the dumbest smart people that there are (laughs) because we haven't stuck together to to pull medicine into where it should be, into the next. We have let 
organizations and, and corporations, and we're not even going to go into big pharma and everything oh, that's else. that's a whole other episode. That's a whole Susan. other thing we're not going to get into today. <laughs> no. We have let them control what we do. So collaboration is key. And the way that I work with people now, so I will say I'm working with someone one-on-one because that's really Mm -hmm. where I'd be speaking with their primary care. I will find there may be some testing that I want, or I may have done their specialty testing, had some responses and answers and didn't like them, and would then send a letter to their primary to ask for either clarification or more testing on their end or follow-up, or maybe they're ready to come off their diabetic medications because I've gotten them to that point. That needs to be coordinated with them. Some of their primaries are so happy that now their people are actually getting healthier, so they're right on board. But unfortunately, some still think that lifestyle medicine, integrated, whatever, they still think it's wooden and crazy and they just kind of ignore it. So, Un- Are they uncooperative, those ones? Will they send you the stuff asking for it? Uh, they, they just hassle? won't do it. They just really? won't do it. Yeah, they just won't do it. There are some who just won't. They'll oh. make it so inconvenient. Oh, you can come in three months to get that done. Well, in three months, we could have that person completely turned around. Holy you know? shit. So, yeah. Yeah. They're that against it. Yeah. There's this whole, like I said, medicine is very, it's a big boat. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And there's a lot out there that just doesn't believe that this works. Well, But you, how can you deny the results though? You, I mean, it's you black and white. It's truth. You can't. You can't. Well, they don't wow. look at the results. <sighs> they look insane. at the, the one study that says, oh, this may not be as opposed to all of the studies that say that it is. It's like, for instance... Leaky gut, that's a term that we has now come into the mainstream, and it's really gut impermeability, permeability, where bacteria and, and things will get through into your blood system, which causes inflammation, which causes issues. Well, about, I would say, maybe five, ten years ago, it was completely off the charts. I mean, if you mentioned that to a traditional physician, they were like, oh, you're nuts. There's no such thing. <laughs> Well, now it's been proven. So now it's accepted. So it's just. There's that boat. Like that's 10 years. 10 years. And that's short. That's really scary, actually. Really scary. In the meantime, there's these people out there, the patients who are suffering with this problem. Exactly. And it's not being recognized as a real thing. Exactly. (laughs) So they have to go to alternative forms of medicine and enter lifestyle medicine doctors. So it's a good thing that people like you are doing this. It's wonderful, but I, I, we need more of it, I guess, because I mean, let's be honest, these doctors who are so resistant, you're not going to change their minds. It's not going to happen. You can't. No. Holy shit. That is really scary. Yeah, it is scary. And you know, what's very interesting is if you ask most people in integrated medicine, lifestyle, whatever it is, if you ask most of them, they almost all have something in their lives that flipped them. I was lucky that my parents were very much into health way back when it wasn't even popular. So I had that in my background. It wasn't as hard a shift for me, even though I did get off the path a little bit. But most of them have had a big thing in their lives that was like a a turning catalyst, a catalyst where it was really bad, whether it was themselves personally, someone in their family, whatever it might have been. But there was something that made them realize that the traditional way of having ill, take a pill does not work. 
and have an ill, take a pill. I love it. <laughs> and then <laughs> that's when they move to something to start looking for other answers. And then they yeah. find it. it's like, why didn't I know this earlier? So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Can you speak to how lifestyle interventions such as diet, exercise, stress management, you mentioned all of these things, sleep, hygiene, (laughs) can prevent and even reverse chronic diseases and how this differs from traditional medical approaches to treating illness? Right. So I talked about the leaves on the tree. So that's the very first thing. The second thing is when we dig deep, when we start looking for those root causes, we find them, whether it's the poor nutrition, the sleep, the toxins. That's another one. These like poor food, stress, and toxins. If you could wipe those three out, you would probably be great. And I give an example that the, the typical woman puts 168 different chemicals on her body every day. Yeah, that's from the environmental working groups. So when we start changing those things and addressing the root cause, when you start using things that are natural and healthy for your body as opposed to the processed chemicals and, and everything else, we automatically start lowering inflammation. And inflammation is one of those things that causes stress on our bodies. Mm-hmm. And stress is at the root of so many different issues yeah. in health. But there's also, I mean, you could also look at the other side of that where you're talking about changing the diet, eating healthier. So you go into a grocery store and they say that the stuff is organic. We don't know that it's organic. How the hell do you know? Like you you don't know. You have to trust and believe what they are telling you, which is part of how we ended up here in the first place is trusting (laughs) and believe. I mean, really. Think about. I was, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Is doctors, traditional doctors, we were conditioned and raised to believe that these people, we trust our health. Basically, our lives are in doctors' hands, and we're to believe what they tell us because they are the professionals. They know, but they don't, though. That's the problem. Right. 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 So how do we make these healthy food choices if we're being mm-hmm. told this stuff is organic? We don't know for certain, mm-hmm. and I'm sure not all of it is. Yeah, yeah, very true. I mean, the only way you can know, and let's take a whole step back with the yeah. whole organic thing. There are things that are organic and then there that are have the label organic because they've mm-hmm. gone through this vetting process, et cetera. But right, then there right. are other local farmers who grow in an organic manner, but haven't jumped through the hoops to be able to put the label organic on their stuff. So you've got both ends of the coin. The only thing we really can do, well, there's two things. One of them is to stick to as much whole foods as possible. And I don't mean the grocery store. (laughs) I mean mean the foods that we actually recognize in their real form. So like, like the example I give is a potato that you hold in your hand versus the chopped up one that's been reformulated to be a chip that they're all the same size and they put them in a can. Okay, one versus the other. That's the very first thing you could do. Just doing that alone, eating whole foods is going to change so much in your life. Okay. And then the only other thing, well, two, now I got three things. The second thing thing you can do is I had mentioned before the Environmental Working Group, Uh EWG.org. Every year they come out with a list of the dirty dozen, which are the top 12 foods that have the most pesticides on them. And so if you avoid those and go organic as much as you can with those, then you're going to be a little better off. And things like apples and strawberries and spinach are almost always on there. So that was one of the things. Yeah, yeah. Things that we think are really healthy, and they are if Mm -hmm. they're not loaded with pesticides. 
So that's the second thing. And the third thing would be start growing your own. (laughs) There you go. But I mean, well, there's also people that face climate issues where they can't grow their own. Although now I've heard of and seen different things where there are things that have been created and are available where you can grow your vegetables and fruits indoors. They've created Mm -hmm. things that allow you to do that. So, but again, then we get into the expense of paying for those things, right? So it's a very hard line to walk. It is a very hard line. Yeah. There are some that grow very well, but like you said, they are not inexpensive. Mm -hmm. And so the people maybe who need them the most are going to be the ones who aren't going to be able to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Now, We've talked about stress a fair bit here. <laughs> I've heard a lot of people say that stress is like a silent killer. Can you talk a little bit about that? And can you provide one tip for the people listening on how to reduce stress and not let stress rule our lives? The one thing they can put into practice right now in order to help them to prevent stress from running their lives. Running, running rapid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, there have been studies that, and this is before the last couple of years, so you know the numbers are probably even higher, yeah. that about 70% of doctor's visits today for the chronic conditions, if you peel back the layers, are related to stress. Okay. 70%. That's staggering. Visits. Crazy. Now, as one example of what stress can do, we are all familiar with the hormone cortisol. You know, a lot Uh of people are. And so it's one of those stress hormones. Well, elevated cortisol does multiple things. Just we'll just take hormones. So three hormones. It messes with your insulin. So insulin is that hormone that decreases blood sugar. So if your cortisol levels are high, it's going to increase your blood sugar. You tend more towards diabetes. Uh It's going to lower your thyroid function. And your thyroid is that master hormone that does everything. It's your metabolism, it's your digestion, it's your weight, it's your energy, all of it. So it's lowering that. So everything's going to get sluggish. And guys, this is a big one for you. Mm -hmm. Increased cortisol, lowest testosterone levels. We don't want that, right? Right. We're talking libido, um, muscle, just Mm -hmm. motivation, everything. So that's just three hormones. And hormones are like this. You can't change one and not change all of them. So they really do a lot of different things. So that's just one issue of what stress does to you, to everyone. And what do we do about stress? We want to reduce it. And that's something that I always put out there. We don't want to manage our stress. You'll hear that a lot. Let's get into a stress management class or whatever. And I say, no, you don't want to manage stress because what that is Remember the Siegfried and Roy? They had a, uh, a white tiger show tiger, that was in Vegas for for decades, yeah. years and years and years. And they managed them like you can't imagine. They were so well-trained until the one day they weren't. Okay? Yes. And I call our stress our white tiger. And we manage it. We smack it down. We have it do what we want until the one day we can't anymore. And then it's a disaster for us. So we don't want to manage that tiger. We want to reduce it. We want to transform it into a little quiet kitty. We want to change it to something else. That's what we want to do with it. Love that. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. (laughs) Is stress a mental or physical condition or is it a bit of both? I think it's definitely both. And if you think about it, there's physical stress, okay? Mm-hmm. So if you, you wrench your knee or you tear your rotator cuff in your shoulder, yeah. that's physical stress. But 
if that torn rotator cuff is keeping you from your work and now you're worried about your family and your finances, now you got mental stress. So they can always be together or it can just be completely mental stress. You may have a boss or a job that's just yeah. something that you want to rip your hair out. And that same thing, your body sees it exactly the same way. It's not like, oh, this is physical stress, so I'm going to act, react this way and this is meant. No, your body sees stress as stress. Okay. okay, and it responds in the same way with those same hormones. So we really want to be able to reduce both of them. Yeah, oftentimes lifestyle changes can be difficult for people to make. Of course, mm-hmm. how do you motivate and inspire your patients to make lasting changes to their behavior and lifestyle habits? <laughs> That's a big one. And <laughs> when I first began, like I said, when I first started, all I was in, I was information because I just knew if I told people, if you do this, this is going to happen and life was going to change for them. Well, no, it did not. <laughs> or, or if it did, it was very short lived. Right. I would put them in a program. They would say, lose 20 pounds and it'd be great. They would keep it off for a while, but then slowly they would get back to the way they were doing before because I hadn't really taught them how to make those changes in their life. I had just given them a program, said, here, you follow this for six weeks and this is what's going to happen. So what we do now is, yes, we still get them the quick wins because that's important. If I tell you, I'm going to help you lose 10 pounds by next year. It's not going to be motivated. No, no. Exactly. So you want to get them the quick wins, but you're doing that as you're teaching them the ways to maintain it. How do we start cooking in a way that's going to support that? How do we move? How do we sleep better? So we're teaching as we're making that transformation. And that's the best way to do it. Love it. Mm-hmm. How do you incorporate the principles of lifestyle medicine into your own life? And do you have any advice for individuals looking to make positive lifestyle changes themselves? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. They always say that people go into a field because they need it themselves. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very true. So (laughs) I am definitely one of those people who, given the choice, and if I hadn't seen what it did to me, and maybe I'll share that with you in just a moment, I would still be doing what I was doing, which was burning the candle at both ends. I was a plastic surgeon. This is when I was in the height of my career. I was doing really well. And at some points, I was the only plastic surgeon within 50 miles. So that meant everybody was coming to me. And it wasn't just during the day. It was also at night when people had trauma or got a dog bite. So I'm working all day, either in the office or doing surgery. Then I'm coming home because I don't want my kids to suffer because I chose to be a plastic surgeon. Then I became soccer mom. Mm -hmm. And as a matter of fact, they used to ask my kids, what did your dad do? They would say, oh, dad's an eye doctor. And and what does your mom do? Oh, mom's the driver. So, you know, I was in drove him to everything. So I was doing that. But then at night when everybody else is sleeping, I'm getting called to the emergency room to take care of the dog bite or the laceration, wow. you know, the facial laceration. So I'm essentially going 24-7 for a long time. Until, like I said, like that white tiger, I couldn't do it anymore. And I found myself in the intensive care unit one time, came out, didn't learn the lesson. Two times, came out, still didn't learn the lesson. Third time, the third time, I almost didn't make it out. And that's when I said, okay, something has got to change. And that's when I started making those lifestyle changes that are what I'm doing now to help other people transform. So now I have, like I said, I have learned the hard way. 
that you mm-hmm. cannot burn that candle at both ends and continue to do so and continue at a pace and still thrive. You know what right. I'm saying? Yeah, you can do it, but you're dragging through the day or you're drinking a lot of coffee or drinking a lot of, or your hormones are crazy. So you can't do it and thrive. That's just not possible. I learned that as I mentioned the hard way. Mm. And so now just because I am that type, my husband calls me a the most laid back type A person he knows, <laughs> but, <laughs> but Left to my own devices and not knowing what I know now, I would be working on the computer or seeing people or doing things at least till eight, nine o'clock at night, every single night, if not longer. And now I realize that I can't do that. So I put a time on my work and I say, okay, I'm stopping at six and I don't care if I have finished or I'm not finished. I am stopping at six o'clock. And I have my family members also hold me accountable, right. you know, hold me responsible. I, I was at a meeting yesterday and they said, you don't want to be accountable because that's somebody else doing something for you, but to be responsible, to remind me that I need to be responsible for my own actions. We got those two things together. So that would be what I would say. Decide, make your line in the sand that you are not going to cross mm-hmm. and then stick to it and pick one thing at a time. Because when you try yeah. to do everything all at once, you get overwhelmed, you get tired, you get frustrated, and then it all goes out the window. Yeah, you don't do any of it. You don't do anything, right. Yeah. So if you do one thing until it becomes you, yeah. then you add another. And right. that's my what we do with everyone. That's why we now take it slower. Brilliant. I love that. Mm-hmm. How do you see the future of healthcare evolving to incorporate greater emphasis on preventative care and lifestyle mentions, lifestyle interventions, sorry? And what role do you see lifestyle medicine playing in this evolution? Right. Like I was saying before, we have to change. The whole issue with the generations, the whole issue with lifespan in the United States is decreasing. And we spend on our healthcare, we spend almost twice as much as the next country in the world, almost twice as much with not as great results. I mean, I think the last time they looked, we were maybe 37, 38 in lifespan expectancy. Wow. But we spend the most. So something has to change because if we continue down this road, it's like, remember that saying about Einstein was saying that insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting something different. Well, Mm -hmm. that's exactly what we we have got to make something change. Definitely. It's needed. It's an emergency. It really needs to happen. It does. It has to. And we've got to figure it out. (laughs) Yeah. Can you share with us a little bit about Premier Wellness? What are the long-term plans and goals for the business? Thank you for asking. (laughs) (laughs) So as I mentioned, initially, it was really just get the information out there the best way I could. And now what it has evolved into is more working, still one-on-one with people, but also in groups, more in workshops and retreats and events where people can learn about those four quadrants that we have which are eat elite, eating the right foods for you at your stage in the life. So in other words, you could maybe eat pizza when you were 20, no problems. But when you try to eat pizza when you're 50, doesn't go over so well. So things like that would be one. And then moving more, not exercising more, but moving your body throughout the day. And there are so many studies now that are almost showing that sitting is the new smoking. So when we think about exercise. A lot of us may have in our head, okay, if I go to the gym a couple, two, three times a week, work out and do all my sweating and everything, then I'm good for the rest of the week. 
Well, what it's showing is that you definitely keep doing that, but mm-hmm. you want to come home and then you don't want to then just sit at a desk or on the couch for the rest of the time because every hour you're on the couch decreases the benefit you get from that workout. So we really want to make sure we're moving throughout the day. And what we do in, in Premier Wellness is we use something we call SNACKS, S-N-A-X, short, nuanced, actionable exercises. So every hour from 30 seconds to one or two minutes, you get up and you do something, whether it's just dancing some, some music, maybe you do some jumping, just moving your body for those, mm-hmm. that period of time. And if you do that, when you get to the end of the day, guess what? You have your 30 minutes of movement that has been recommended by so many organizations without extra time before or after your day. So we Mm. love that. (laughs) (laughs) Living wisely is our third quadrant. And so that's your sleep, getting that six to eight, actually that seven to nine hours is no longer six to eight, seven to nine hours of sleep, reducing your stress levels, balancing your hormones. That's living wisely. And then finally, loving divinely. And a lot of times, especially in the corporate world, we want to leave that one out because it's a little, again, maybe a little more woo. But it's your mindset. It's how you you feel about yourself, how you love yourself. And then seeing that same spark of life and love in you that you see in other people. And that's just making that connection. Because we know more and more, if we get into quantum studies, mm-hmm. we're all connected. We yeah. are all connected. So yeah. it's all a matter of those four quadrant eat, move, live, love. So as I mentioned before, when I first started, they were real short programs, six weeks. They come and have great results. And then they kind of piddled away. But now we work more towards it being a lifestyle. And you asked what what's in the future. Mm-hmm. My goal is to have centers across the country, maybe eventually around the world, that teach people. They're lifestyle centers that are going to teach people. How do you make dinner in 30 minutes that's healthy, tastes good, and doesn't cost a fortune? What are the ways that you can reduce your stress, even if you don't like meditating? Things like that. Teaching them how to have these lifestyle changes in their life in a way that works for them. That's I love that goal. That's That's amazing. Yeah. The movement piece, you could just get a dog. That would yes. keep you yes. <laughs> that would keep you good, keep you going. And that would definitely give you your thirty minutes a day, no problem. Exactly. Well they do say that people with dogs live longer, and that's probably one of the reasons, other than the fact yeah. they love to snuggle and that's Oh yes. Too. Well that's right. the unconditional right. love you get from right. those things. Right. But in addition, it's that movement because you have to take them out. You have to get out and walk them, yes. right? So exactly. I'm, I know I take my dogs at least two, three times a day. So yes, yes it gets yes. you moving. Pound puppies helped us. They definitely, well, not pound puppies, pandemic puppies. That's what they call them. Yeah. They definitely helped us over this last couple of years. Oh, for you, sure. you have yeah, to walk. absolutely. Yeah. Now, you are known as the Thrive Architect. Can you tell us what is a Thrive Architect and what do you do as a Thrive Architect? How did this come to be? So when you go out to a networking event or you explain to someone what you do, and when I first came out, I said, oh, I'm a functional medicine physician. And people get this blank look, oh, what? (laughs) Oh, what? (laughs) Then I would have had to explain, okay, so what I do is blah, 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 blah. And it was like this whole long conversation. No elevator pitch there. (laughs) Exactly. It was horrible. (laughs) So... And then you, and you see people's eyes glazing over because they're, no, they're not. Yeah. But then I had someone who mentioned that maybe what you do is 
what do people want? What do they actually want to achieve? Why would they go through all of this? And to put it in one word, the one word I came up with was thrive. People, they don't want to survive anymore. They want to no. thrive. They want to be have that vitality and life throughout their whole life. So that's where Thrive came from. And Architect came from the fact that we help people design their own version of thriving. So it's not like I'm going to say, okay, here's this diet. You go on this diet and your life's going to change. No, we're going to figure out what's going on with you. Where do you want to go? Like, What mm-hmm. house do you want? And what do you want that house to look like? And then we design it together. So that's where the Thrive Architect came from. I love it. That is brilliant. (laughs) Beautiful, Susan. Thank you. (laughs) As mentioned off the top, you're also an author. Can you talk a little bit about the book? What's the title? Subject Mm -hmm. matter, obviously, is going to be around lifestyle medicine or thriving. (laughs) It's how to play guitar. (laughs) (laughs) How to raise puppies. (laughs) Right, right. And what was the inspiration behind writing the book? Yeah. So the name of the book is Thrive, the five-week guide to mastering your energy at any age. And it came about because it it was what my classes and courses had evolved into. Remember I said initially it was just like, here's your six-week program, go. go. And I had evolved into this program where we were teaching them all of those four quadrants and teaching them how to do things. And then COVID hit. And I had a choice. I could either just kind of sit there and twiddle my thumbs during COVID, or I could pivot, go virtual, which is what we did. And I looked and I said, let me have something when I come out, because we knew we were coming out at some point. Let me have something tangible when we finish. And that's when I wrote the book, took the course, turned it into a book, and voila. (laughs) So people could start there then. If they really wanted Absolutely. to, there's enough information in oh, there yes. oh, to yeah. help them get well on their way and on the Absolutely. path. Absolutely. Okay. We talk about the nutrition. We go through each of those four quadrants, mm-hmm. the nutrition, the movement, the sleep, hormones, and the love. Are there any recipes in there or anything like that? Or is that's further on in the program? Like that's more advanced. That's a little bit more advanced, but okay. well, let me see. Do we have any? No, we don't. It's not in okay. there, just in the book, but it tells you how to go about making the recipes. It's just okay. trying to think of what they were in the book. Yeah. Good point for next time. Next there book. You go. Thrive we're getting ready to do one about hormones. <laughs> there you go. Well, I'll make sure to put the link for the book in the show notes when we release your episode so that Thank people you. can learn more about it. What would you say, Susan, is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before you learned it? What was your life like after learning it? <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be a funny, not funny answer, but reading. Okay? okay. Me learning to read was this light that just turned on. So of course, before you had to accept what other people told you, what other people said, you were being fed information. Mm-hmm. Spoon fed. Spoon fed. Exactly. Yep. And I remember to this day, the very first word that I read and believe it, this is back in the day when they didn't do phonics. So the very first word I learned was buttercup. I don't know why. (laughs) I don't know why the book had, but buttercup was the first word. And to this day, I see the picture still. I see the word and it just opened up this whole world to me. And that was the before and the after. And now I can delve into things myself, no matter what it is. And I've got that power to do and to bring knowledge into myself. So that's my answer to that one. Love it. Yeah. What do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful? Ah, 
Okay. So I think my, and it, it's funny because I've done it multiple times without even realizing what exactly I was doing. And I think what it is, the ability to see what other people are capable of, even when they can't see it themselves, and then helping them to get there. So as an example, I had people who work with me, but it was in plastic surgery. And in plastics, I would rather take someone who had the right personality and the right drive versus someone who had been trained in plastics. Right. And so that's what I tended to pick. The only issue with that is because they didn't have that training, once they got in and learned about medicine and what was possible, they often saw, again, like with me, it was reading a wider world out there. And so I had one woman who came in, no medical training whatsoever. She's now a physician's assistant. Had another one come in, no medical training whatsoever. She's now a dentist. So wow. just see, yeah, exactly. Just seeing in them what's possible and helping them become that. So that was in plastic surgery. And then I do that now in lifestyle medicine because people don't realize the power that they have in themselves to change their lives, to transform their lives. That's a beautiful gift you have. That's for sure. I love it. <laughs> Speaking of success, how do you define that word? What does success mean to you? Mm. To me, it's when you put your head on the pillow at night and you know that you have done the absolute best for everyone who has come into your sphere that day. Love it. That's it. What aspect of your personality do you think has been the most helpful in your career? <laughs> stick to itiveness. That persistence and <laughs> determination. Because yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, as I mentioned before, briefly mentioned before, I was a dancer for 14 mm -hmm. years, professional ballet dancer for 14 years before I went to medical school. So I didn't even start medical school until I was 30. And a lot of people said, oh, my goodness, this is crazy. Why are you doing this? You're starting late. <laughs> You're starting. You are so old. And my answer to that was, well, look, in four years, I'm going to be four years older. I could either be a doctor or I could still be wishing I was a doctor. Oh. So I went to medical school and that's the way I kind of have looked at things all along. Was medical school hard? Yes. Was it as hard as dancing? No. Wow. <laughs> so people ask me that and I'm like, no, it really wasn't. Because medical school, yes, it worked your brain, but that's all it did. You, you sat down and you just, you went through things, you memorized, you learned stuff. Whereas dancing, you had to learn the dance and move your body at the same time. So yeah. it's kind of both. Using both but, your body yeah, and your mind. Both your body and your mind at the same time. So that persistence, the determination, and, and that never say never. Stick to it. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> what does the word empowerment mean to you, Susan? Yes. I really think it's about understanding truly what a person is capable of and then giving them the tools and the, the knowledge and the information, whatever they need to accomplish that. So whether it's more information, whether it's support, whatever that is, giving them what they need to be able to do what they want to do and what they're capable of doing. Beautiful. Okay, we're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping of questions just be two, three, four word answers. Okay, You got this. Don't worry. Mm -hmm. I believe in you. <laughs> How would you describe yourself in one word? Pollyanna. <laughs> <laughs> you have one word. That's it. <laughs> yeah. What is your favorite self-care practice? 
and listening to music. If you could teach the world one thing, what would it be? Empathy. If you could be remembered for one thing, what would it be? My lifestyle health centers. What's one thing you want but cannot buy with money? My children finding their own way and path to success. What is one thing you love about yourself that is not related to your physical appearance? That people enjoy sharing their stories with me. And that concludes our rapid fire section. Now back Woo-hoo! to our regularly scheduled program. <laughs> See you. you did Good job. Challenge in your life, would you say, has shaped you the most? <laughs> yeah. Being a short black woman. Really? And yes. And I say that because if you look at the opposite of all of them, a tall white man, that is the standard for success. And so I am almost the antithesis, (laughs) polar opposite of everything. And being able to make that change and to climb those rungs of the ladder, despite not looking, being, or what others may conceive as being the traditional successful person. That's a very interesting spin and way to look at it. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. (laughs) What is one lesson your career has taught you that you think everyone should learn at some point in their life? Mm, Yeah. When you care for someone, because I love well, 99.9% of the, <laughs> you didn't hear me say that, of the people that I work with. I just, I really do. And I think mm. that shows through. And when it does, then they love you back. Then they trust you, they respect you, and they follow you back. What is an unexpected blessing or occurrence in your life that you're grateful for? So tough. Because there are just so many. (laughs) Life is a blessing, but it's not really unexpected. Well, yes, it can be because Mm -hmm. we really shouldn't expect to wake up every morning. So just the fact that we wake up every morning is a blessing. And that is the very first thing that I do in the morning. I thank the world, the universe, the divine for Mm -hmm. waking and opening my eyes every morning. So even though we expect it, kind of, it's not given. And so yeah. that is my daily blessing that I get. Gratitude practice. Mm-hmm. I love it. What is your why, Susan? Mm. So I love, same way that I love surgery and having people wake up and then they come in three months later because they heard it first. But when they come in three <laughs> months later and they're just ecstatic about that, I love making that same transformation in people and seeing now and seeing that light come on in their eyes that, wow, I can do this. I have the power to change my own life. And when that happens, when they have that in their own eyes, then it spreads out to those around them. Then their family starts picking up on it. And mm-hmm. that ripple effect is just, it's, it's life. Love yeah. it. If you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one-hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why? It's going to be Michelle Obama. Everybody's heard it from me already. (laughs) (laughs) And the reason is I think that she is the epitome of the strong black woman who has literally taken everything that the world has thrown at her. And she stayed true to herself and her beliefs. And she's made her own indelible mark on the the world. That's my plan. If you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? Don't wait till you're in the hospital to start taking care of yourself. (laughs) That's a good one. (laughs) 
<laughs> Lastly, Susan, if you were to deliver your last 30 second speech to the world, like your tribe, your people, your corner of the world, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What words of wisdom would you impart? Yeah, I would say that we all have the ability to heal ourselves, to be healthy and to be happy. And the way we do it, we start by listening to our body because our body is so wise. It knows exactly what we need at this stage in life. And then once we know what our body wants, then we let go of whatever isn't serving us, whatever that is, whether it's food or a person or a job, let go of it. And then we live our own version of thriving. And nobody can tell us what that is for us. We decide that ourselves. And then when we live that, then life is miraculous beautifully said what an incredible way to end the interview susan thank thank you you so much for the opportunity to sit down and speak with you i've enjoyed thoroughly every minute of the conversation (laughs) lots of laughs insights education inspiration all of it thank you so much you're a beautiful soul who is doing incredible work out in the world so keep shining your bright beautiful light and thank you for being a guest with me today and Thank you for being a member of the Empower Griffey community. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Brad. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Dr. Susan Lavelle. She is the founder and owner of Premier Wellness, a lifestyle medicine doctor, the Thrive Architect, and an author. Thanks so much, Susan. I hope you have an amazing rest of the day. Thank you so much. Thanks, Brad. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca, follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast, and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.